I want to welcome you to our new series that I'm calling Devoted. Devoted. Now, here's what we realize. All of us are devoted to some things and some ones. All of us are. Uh, in fact, I want you to think right now, if I ask you, what are things that you're devoted to? Can you identify them? For me, uh, these would be some of the things that right now instantly came to my mind. I'm devoted to my family, my, the Seahawks, Go Hawks. the Huskies. It was a boo last night, that's for sure. The, uh, the tri-races train, food, uh, Netflix, this church, and Jesus. Now, I don't want to make, make sure it said it's not necessarily in that order, so I don't want to get in trouble here. So here's what I want you to do. Turn the person next to you, introduce yourself if you haven't done it already. Tell them what, you know, two or three things that instantly come to mind that you are find yourself devoted to. Do it now. Go ahead and do it now. Okay, I want to hear a few of these things. What are some things you're devoted to? Family. Family. The kids you work with? Food. Food. Golfing. Coffee. Coffee while golfing. Coffee. School. Jesus. Uber. Uber. <laughs> Why is that funny? I don't know. <laughs> it just, just feels funny. One or two more. The Cougars. What's that? Retirement? I love that. Retirement. Uh, there's a lot of things that we can continue to go on and on that we're devoted to. Here's what I want to do for the next just few moments. I want to see if I can expand or have you be challenged with some of the things that you instantly thought of or uh, maybe didn't think of. Like, for example, here are some other ways to identify what you are currently devoted to if you're going to be honest with yourself. Here's some questions to answer. What do you spend free time or discretionary money on? When you have the time, few moments here or there, or hours or days, what do you find yourself gravitating towards on a regular basis? That will be an indication of what you find yourself devoted to. Now, you also could be devoted to specific brands. So it's not just coffee, but you actually say, well, I'm, I'm devoted to Starbucks coffee. It has to be that brand or Adidas apparel or American-made cars or Adam's original chunky peanut butter. <laughs> Maybe that's just mine, you know. Um, you know, but that's one way to identify. Not only am I devoted to this, but actually gets more narrow in the focus. Or what or who do you choose to make a priority in your life? These are the people that if you see them come up on your phone, you actually will answer and not just let it go to voicemail. These are people that you text that you don't ghost, you actually text back. These are people that you're like, you know what? I really do care about these people in my life. So maybe they weren't first on your list, but maybe you're identifying them now. Or what do you choose to put extra into? Extra. Whatever you're devoted to, you find yourself putting extra, extra time, extra resources, extra energy. Like if you're devoted to your job, you don't just work the nine to five clock in and clock out. You'll find yourself if you're devoted to your job, putting in extra, extra hours, even if it's to the, to the detriment for some who are so devoted to work to the detriment of relationships, you'll find yourself admitting, yeah, I'm pretty devoted to that. That could be an extra. So what are some of those extra things you find yourself devoted to? Uh, what might have control over your life? 
You don't want to admit it, but these are things that you're devoted to even though you know that they might be destructive. This could be like materialism. You find yourself always trying to buy things to fill yourself. Or it could be your phone. So social media and otherwise, you're like, you know what, it's, it's kind of, I just find myself constantly wanting to know, did people click like, did they comment on whatever I posted or what I said, and you find yourself in a destructive way. Drugs or alcohol, pornography, etc., etc. You're devoted to these things, even if they are destructive to our lives. Or who or what are you willing to sacrifice for? So you, you find yourself like, you know what, with my kids or your spouse or a friend, you go that extra mile, but you're sacrificing. You're actually giving of yourself. Even to the detriment of you, you'll find yourself, those are the things that you're devoted to. Now self-reflect. Did your list change or did it get a little longer? Did you find yourself, ooh, if I were going to be honest with myself, I'd actually have to list those things as well. Now I wonder if you've ever thought like me, and I'm going to ask you to think about this now, what is God devoted to? All right, if God really does exist, we're not assuming that everybody here believes that, but if God really does exist, what do you think he's devoted to? In fact, instead of me just giving you the answer, once again, all skate, go ahead and turn to the person next to you and answer that question to the best of your ability. What do you think God is devoted to? So go ahead and answer that now and we'll come back up. All right. I wonder it was a little bit quieter. You guys are a lot more lively when you're talking about what you're devoted to. You know, what God's devoted to. I don't know. Pretend like we're talking. All right. What are, you, what are you devoted? What do you think God's devoted to? Us. Okay. What else? Relationships. His church. His church. Creation. Mom and dad. Kids, making himself known. And the list can go on and on as well, just like with your devoted list as well. So I want to narrow in on one primary one, because when you look at God's book called the Bible, he makes it fairly clear, because it's mentioned so many different times, that he is devoted to us, specifically our relationship with him and our relationship with other people. These are not my words, these are God's. God said in John 3, 16 and 17, for this is how God loved the world. This is his devotion to the world. He gave his one and only son. Talk about sacrifice. Talk about extra. Talk about going to the extent so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus himself says in Luke 19, 10, for the son of man, Jesus came to seek and to save those who were lost. Talk about going the extra mile, which is what we celebrate with communion on a regular basis so that we never forget God's devotion to us and allows us to then be back devoted to him. So that actually leads us to the next question. I'm going to talk to those of you who claim to be Christians, followers of Jesus Christ. Have you ever asked yourself, what are we supposed to be devoted to? What are we supposed to be devoted to? While you're thinking about that, I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 42 to 47. And one of the ways to know, and again, uh, only one of the verses will be on the screen. We always want you to pull out your smartphones or bring your Bibles. And again, there's a Bible in the back as a gift from us to you if you don't have one. But one of the ways that you know what we as followers of Jesus 
could or should be devoted to is by going back to the first followers of Jesus, the ones who are closest in proximity and in relationship to Jesus to be able to help us even a couple thousand years later to ask us, are we or could we or should we be devoted to the same things? So in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says this, all the believers, all the believers devoted, here it is, there's that word, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over all of them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple court each day, met in the homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord had added to their fellowship those who are being saved. So what we read there, especially in verse 42, is they devoted themselves to God through the apostles' teaching and to one another. It wasn't just me and God, it was we and God. They didn't just make this up. They got this because of their relationship and proximity to Jesus. Jesus told them in Matthew 28, he told his disciples, his followers, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. This is what you're supposed to do. If you're devoted to me, this is one of the ways you represent me. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. So what are the disciples doing? They're trying to teach people to obey all the things that Jesus has given them. Be sure of this. Jesus says, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. So what started over 2,000 years ago is the same reason we exist as a church. So our vision, the way we put it in our American language, our English language, is this, to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. So it's funny that the primary purpose of the church for those of us who are followers of Jesus is not for me. It's actually for those not yet connected to God. Why? Because that was Jesus' purpose in coming, and he wants us to do the same. Now, when we reach out, when we connect, when we love in the way that God has loved us and we see other people come to know him, we don't just leave them like that and be like, oh, all right, see you later. I'm going to go find somebody else. No, Jesus said make disciples. So our mission is to be and make disciples of Jesus Christ. And we believe as we look at the scriptures that there is a process that Jesus goes through that he models and he teaches. And we just call it simply because we are that kind of church, A, B, C, D. Call it accept, belong, contribute, and disciple. And we're going to spend the next four weeks kind of unpacking what that means in this series called Devoted. But this first week, here's the question I want to ask those of us who are followers of Jesus. Are we devoted to sharing Christ with others? Are you devoted to sharing Jesus with others? As you think about that, I want us to back up. Jesus is risen from the dead, as, as Hester reminded us, the foundation that we have in Christ is not that he went to the cross, but that he also rose from the dead. And the disciples, even though they've been told to do these things that I just mentioned, are freaking out because they don't know what's going to happen to them. So they're huddled in a place that we would call the upper room. So they're all kind of huddling together, not knowing what's next. They know Jesus promised some things, not sure what's going to happen. And in the moment of prayer, this thing called the Holy Spirit miraculously comes upon them. 
where it looks like there are tongues of fire that are actually resting on their heads. They are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's Spirit inside of them. And they have then the ability, miraculous ability, to speak and people understand in their own native languages. Word gets out. It's nine o'clock in the morning. What in the world's going on? And thousands of people begin to gather around until finally Peter stands up and he delivers a message. He says, let me tell you what's going on here. You're able to hear in your own languages. We're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. You need to understand, according to Scripture, according to God's Word, this long-awaited Messiah, the one who's going to bring us back into right relationship with God, he came. And he fulfilled all the things that the Old Testament talked about that he was going to fulfill. And yet, here's the problem. You killed him. And they're like, "Uh uh-oh. If this is all true and we're hearing this, what do we do? And this is where we pick up in verse 37. Peter's words pierced their hearts, and they said to him and to the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you, not just you, for your children and to those far away, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching for a long time. I just want to remind you. (laughs) When you feel like Dan is going a long time, I'm just trying to be like Peter. Okay. (laughs) Strongly encouraging all of his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Those who believe what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day, about 3,000 in all. So before we get to their devotion, before we get to their commitment to what it was going to be like to be part of the church, somebody shared the message. Some people stood up and said, this is what you need to hear. And then upon receiving this message, upon being baptized in him, then it says in verse 42, and all the believers devoted themselves, which is the passage we just read. So you can't have the second without the first. You can't have that unless people are willing to stand up and share. We, sometimes we skip portions of scripture and we don't realize, no, there's, a, there's an order here that we are called to live and be. So don't miss this. If you get nothing else, wake up right now. This is the one statement I want you to hear and walk away with being challenged today. We share what we are most devoted to. That's the truth. We share what we are most devoted to. Uh, You might be most devoted to your family. There's nothing wrong with that. And so it's very easy for you to share. How do I know you're most devoted to your family? I see your social media. So I know, you know, what we're devoted to. It's easy to share what we're most, it just comes off. If you're, most, if you're most devoted to your job, it's just easy to talk about. A hobby, it's so easy. The Seahawks, it's just easy to talk about what we're most devoted to. So the question becomes, is Jesus one of those things, if not the most important thing? You see, Peter, uh, before he was called Peter, he was called Simon. He was a, he was a fisherman, Right? So he was a fisherman, probably generationally. His dad was probably a fisherman based on our understanding of the culture. His granddad was probably a fisherman. It's just one thing that was passed down from generation to generation. And he's probably like any other fisherman. He had great fishing stories. You know, I caught a fish this big. You know what I'm saying? Some of you guys are going to notice. 
So probably after work, easy for him to talk about. This is how we do it. This is when we fish. This is what's going on. And so easy to talk about. When somebody entered into his world, he could talk about fishing because that was his job. Jesus comes on the scene and says, hey, fishing is a great idea, but what if I taught you how to fish for men? So he goes on this three-year journey with Jesus, completely outside of his comfort zone, completely outside of what he knew or thought he was devoted to, and he becomes devoted to Jesus, so much so that after the resurrection, after this time frame, we see him and one of the other disciples named John, who could not help but share about Jesus. I mean, he thought he could share about being a fisherman, but he couldn't help but share about Jesus, but he got called on the carpet. See, the religious leaders of the day didn't like that. They didn't like what Peter and John were saying about Jesus, so they call him into like the principal's office, and they're like, you guys need to stop doing this. Stop sharing about Jesus. Now, if he had kept it to himself, he wouldn't have got called on the carpet. If he had just made it a personal experience with God, he wouldn't have got called on the carpet, but he, when John were telling other people, so they said, you better stop. I love the response. Verse 19 of Acts chapter 4, but Peter and John replied, do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything that we have seen and heard. See, it wasn't just something that they heard from a friend from a friend. They had experienced it personally, and they were so devoted and passionate about what change and difference had taken place in their life, they could not help. Regardless of the ramifications, regardless of the impact that was going to take place in their lives, they said we will not and could not help share what we have seen and what we have heard. That's important, which I'll get you to in just a second. But all they were doing is doing what Jesus had asked them to do. In Acts 1.8, Jesus says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. What does it mean to witness? Telling people about me everywhere. Not just what I do, but also what I say. Where? In Jerusalem. That's where they're at. In Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But this is where I know the rubber meets the road. Many of us don't want to share. And again, I'm talking to those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ. And here's some of the reasons. One is we don't know what to say. So we're like, I, I can't share because somebody's going to come at me and say something different, and I don't feel like I have the knowledge or experience or it's uncomfortable to be able to, to, to share. And it's one of the things that holds us back. Secondly, we're afraid of being labeled. We're afraid in this day and age in America, it's, you're not the home team anymore. Okay, becoming more and more the visitor team in somebody else's stadium. So you're like, well, how are going to people respond? How am I going to be labeled? What box am I going to be put in? How am I going to be called something that is not true? And so it's very, very difficult to share. But I want to give you some encouragement today. Let me tell you about another story. Jesus is walking along the road, and he healed people from time to time. He didn't heal everyone, which is a whole different sermon. But he healed people from time to time. One of the guys that he healed was a guy who was born blind. 38 years, born blind, puts some mud, you know, on his eyes. You guys washes his eyes and he's able to see, okay? Talk about an incredible encounter. So he begins to share with a bunch of people about what God had done in his life through Jesus Christ. Well, he gets called on the carpet too. The Pharisees call him in, the religious leaders of the day call him in and say, whoa, 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 you need to give glory to God, not this Jesus fellow. For this Jesus fellow we know is a sinner, and I love what the guy says. I think it's a great example for us today. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, John 9, 25. Whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. See, I'm not going to hear to defend that. I don't know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. See, I can't defend 
all the things that you're going to argue with me about Jesus and who he is and his background and all that kind of stuff, all I can testify is to the fact and truth that I was blind and I can see and Jesus is the one who did it. See, guys, the greatest apologetic of our day, apologetic means evidence of God, is a changed life. See, you may not have all the words, you may not have all the knowledge, you may not have all the background to be able to confront or debate or that kind of stuff, but can you at least say, at one point in my life I was blind spiritually and now I can see? At one point, this is where my life was, and because of Jesus, this is where my life is today. This is where my marriage was, and this is where we are today. This is where my relationship with my kids was. This is where we are today. This is my relationship with whomever. This is who I was, but I met Jesus, my experience, my connection with him, and this is where I am today. You see, today, people want to know what works. People are so sold to today by so many things. If information was the sole going to be the, the silver bullet to people's transformation, Google would have solved our issue a long time ago. But it's not. People are so inundated with so much messaging, with so much information. People are asking this question, what works? And so when they see somebody who has a healthy marriage, they get curious. They're not just going on Google, how to have a healthy marriage. Yeah, that, that works for a little bit, but they want to see evidence that that is true. You know, you don't go to somebody for financial advice who's going bankrupt. You're like, boy, the person, like, let me tell you about financial advice. You're like, no, I'm not going to listen to you. I can see evidence in your life that you're, what you're saying isn't reflective of your life. People want to know what works. So here's the question. Does your life indicate transformation by Jesus? Can you share what Jesus has done? And if your only response is, I go to church and I got baptized, you're missing the transformational power that Jesus can bring into all of our lives because that's the power of what we can share. Now, I don't want you to leave feeling beat up. Like, man, I just, I'm a terrible Christian again. I don't want you to feel like you just got pastor slapped on your way out, you know, we just, we just, that's a bad, that's a bad experience, you know, you're like, ah, not feeling good, got to try harder, do better, sometimes when you go to church, I want to give you hope, I want to give you help with answering this last question, how do we change your devotion to something new or different? You see, if you're honest, and we go back to that first question, what are you devoted to? And Jesus wasn't on that list, and sharing Jesus was not on that list when you kind of went down further. It wasn't something that naturally came. The question becomes, all right, I don't just need to leave here or try harder, do better. The question is, how do I change what I'm devoted to? And here's what you'll find. The things that I'm going to mention to you is true in all things, not just with Jesus. So hopefully it's helpful in a lot of the areas that you might struggle with because it starts with a willingness to. Are you open to changing what you might be devoted to? Peter was a fisherman. Jesus said, follow me. He was open to change. Jesus has you here today, and he wonders, are you open to changing your devotion and what that may mean? Because heart change happens through a number of different ways. Let me give you a few of them. One would be new or different experiences. Ever tried something new? You know, just, 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 just open your eyes to something new. We get stuck in ruts, and we don't try something new, and all of a sudden it opens up 
to different perspectives and ideas that we'd never thought of before. Like, I'll give you one, uh, uh, and sometimes they're not encouraging you. What if you, uh, somebody comes and says, you know, the doctor comes to you and says, hey, you have cancer. Okay? That's awful. But you'll begin to change some things. Uh, uh, sometimes pain brings about short-term change. A different sermon would be to show you that love actually is the greatest motivator for change. But sometimes these circumstances happen that all of a sudden begin to change what you might be devoted to. Heart change also happens by being around others with passion or influence. With passion or influence. You ever been around somebody passionate? You become passionate about the things that they're passionate about. Let me give you an example. How many of you guys are into essential oils? Raise your hand. Essential oils. Okay, come on. No, you guys are so much louder than that normally. You know, now, here's what I know about essential oil people. Okay, you didn't just all of a sudden wake up one day, go to Google, and try to find what are the greatest health things that I can be involved in. That's not how you got involved with essential oils. 99% of people who get involved with essential oils is because you came across someone who was passionate about essential oils, that they believed that it works. And you were convinced that it works based on their passion and their convincing and their proof. And because they were a living testimony and were incredibly passionate, you're like, dude, I need to not only participate in essential oils, I need to start selling essential oils because this stuff's real. I am not making fun of essential oils whatsoever. Now, you may have come in here, and I know this can be confusing, but you might look at me and say, man, obviously that guy looks like he's a tri-racer, you know? I know that happens, you know, all the time. Like, well, of course, you know, he does triathletes. No, nobody in their right mind does triathletes. So how did I get involved? Because I met two idiots named Kenny and Eric who met Jeremy Anglin, who convinced them that it would be a good idea to do these things. And he's so passionate, and these guys are so passionate about these things. I mean, think about it logically for a second. Who wakes up and says, yeah, let's go biking 50 miles today? Woo! Good idea. <laughs> Nobody in their right mind. Where, what gets you into that mindset? You're around people who are passionate about that. And when you're around people who are passionate about that thing, it's funny how influence carries one to another. Those of you who are teenagers or young adults, who you choose to be around is who you will become. And it doesn't end when we grow up either. So the question is, when's the last time you were around someone who was passionate about sharing Jesus with others? Surround yourself with someone passionate about sharing Jesus with others, and you will find yourself as passionate, if not more so, in the same way that we found ourselves passionate about tri-racing essential oils or whatever it may be. It's amazing. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm just saying when you surround yourself with those people, it's contagious, which, which tells us that heart change happens through relationship. Uh, here's one of the things that I know. Oftentimes, we can come to church and we're like, mm, that was okay. You know, that worship, not quite do it for me. Man, that sermon, you know, could use some work. You know, next time, kids area, I hope my kid had a good time. Here's what will change immediately. Invite someone who's not used to going to church and sit by them. All of a sudden, your heart will begin to change even this place. You will be praying that the right people are standing greeting when they come into the door. You will pray that their kid who gets checked in has a phenomenal experience. 
And when you come in, you're going to pray that Dan is not preaching about tithing. That's what's going to happen. You're going to be praying like, please, Lord, not today. And you're going to pray that Kenny doesn't sing about the blood of the sacrificed lamb because you're going to have to explain that all the way home to your friend who's like, what kind of place is this? Right? All of a sudden, you'll see things and you'll experience things in your heart completely different. Those of us who are caught into, was that good or not, you completely change because I've seen it every single time. When you bring someone who's not connected, you all of a sudden, your heart begins to change for those who are not connected. And lastly, and most importantly, heart connection happens by connecting to God's spirit regularly. Regularly. Psalms 51.10 says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If you try to be more Christ-like by your own works and effort, you will find yourself exhausted. If you spend more time with Jesus in abidance and connection with him, it'll become naturally a part of your language. It'll become part of who you are, who God has created you to be after we're connecting to him because we're allowing his work, his spirit inside of us to transform us from the inside out. Ezekiel chapter 36 says it this way, I will give you a new heart, God says, and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and to be careful to keep my laws. It wasn't by human effort. Like, oh, I gotta try harder, those commandments. No, it's by relationship. In fact, uh, this year, uh, again, as our next step, as we do every week, who is someone you know who doesn't yet know Jesus? Who is someone that comes to your mind? Someone in your sphere of influence, somebody you work with in your family, you go to school with, I don't know who that may be. Can you be devoted, even this week, to praying for, to inviting and sharing Jesus with them? That that's your devotion, regardless of the outcome. You're not to, it's not your job to save anyone, it's your job to share if you're a follower of Jesus. One of the ways that we try to remind you of this every week is to my left, to your right. Two things that are there. One is the cross. The cross, you might say, is on the fritz. It's not, it's intentionally now not lit because this time every year, all the people who got accepted Christ get baptized, we go back to ground zero. Why? Because we want to be reminded every week that there's still a job to be done, that we exist still for people who are not yet here. And so that one light that's there, even though it's out of order and it's messing with my mind right now because it's not in the right place, <laughs> is the person who got baptized on Thursday after services. That the first one this year has begun. The second thing that we do is that we paint over the baptistry again. So you might know that there are pens around this baptistry every single week for you to write down someone that you are praying for so that every time you see someone get baptized, you're praying for that person, but it also is a trigger to pray for your friend, your family member, your coworker. And so we encourage people to write that down. And then if they come to Christ or accept it, they circle, like, got them. You know, look what God did as we go to this next year. My prayer for all of you who are followers of Jesus is that one year from now, you could look over and you could look at the cross and say, God, you used me to affect someone else for all eternity. And shouldn't that be all of our prayer? One other encouraging thing, just so you know, is uh, this last week, week and a half ago, uh, we just had our 2,000th baptism. 2,000th baptism. church has been around for 15 years and it just keeps getting better and better and better because we have people 
who are committed and devoted to the things of Jesus. And so to commemorate that, we have just a little brief video to be able to show you, you know, for, so that we can get excited about. And while that video is shown, my heart and my prayer is that you would be praying for who God has put on your heart. Go ahead and put, go ahead and watch the screen with me. We are celebrating this weekend 2,000 baptisms. You think about it, that's like a small town. There have been so many that have made a decision for Jesus and taken that incredible step to get into the water and be baptized in the name of Jesus. I remember back in 2003, the first baptism we ever had, and that was Rick and Brenda Paul, and it was at Farragut Park in Idaho. And we weren't even, we hadn't even met as a church for our first meeting, but we did that at the lake there, and that was the first one of many. When I think of baptisms, I think of Acts chapter two. First, it says that they were pierced at the heart, meaning they were convicted that they needed to follow Jesus. And then they were baptized, and then they were devoted to what Jesus had told them to do, to follow in their footsteps. And as a church, we've seen that devotion take place over and over with those that have followed Jesus in baptism. We get the opportunity to see parents baptizing their children, friends baptizing friends, children baptizing their parents. And that's the church being the church, really committed and in diving into people's lives and discipling them through 2,000 baptisms. Wayne and I are baptizing in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ, and raised to walk a new life. I love it! Woo! And maybe now it's time for you to make that decision.